In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you now to open to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. As a church family, we are going through every uh, letter in the New Testament this year, looking at how it begins and how it ends, and actually the very verses that Brad started us off with in our call to worship is, uh, are the very verses from which we've entitled this whole series, Grace and Truth, that uh, as it summarized in the beginning of John's Gospel, that the law came through Moses, and grace and truth to us have come through Jesus Christ. And there, as we've said before, is the promise in, in God's grace of his undeserved kindness to us. And when we hear truth, um, that's not as much of a, of a true statement as much as that we're supposed to be thinking of a faithful relationship. And so we have God's steadfast love and his enduring faithfulness, that he keeps the promises that he makes to us, and Jesus brings that home for us the most clearly, that Jesus is the yes to all of the Father's promises to this broken world. And so we can receive both his truth and his grace because of him. And here now we're in an area of the New Testament where some of the followers of Jesus are now writing to the churches of communities that have come to faith in him and they need ongoing wisdom for what it means to now follow Jesus and to live out their lives as followers of his with the variety of challenges that they face and this is what we read in Colossians chapter 1 Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae grace to you and peace from God our father we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make known the word of God, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. Uh, it's been our encouragement that as these are letters, we, we recognize that we're stopping abruptly and then we jump to the end and we encourage you if you're able to be reading through these letters throughout the week to see uh, what the entirety of them have to say as we just hopefully uh, whet your appetite to continue to read uh, further but these relationship these letters come from relationships that are growing within the first century church that letters are now being written to totally different places that wouldn't have been on anybody's Radar uh, in the initial disciples of Jesus as their lives centered around the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem and a little bit of the surrounding area. But back then, people didn't travel very far and they didn't always know about what was going on uh, in distant places. And there is something that has happened in the resurrection of Jesus to now compel the followers of Jesus to spread the message in Jerusalem and in the surrounding parts of Judea, but now to go as far and as wide as possible. And in so doing, they're interacting with all different kinds of people that they might have never grown up with, that have totally different ways of thinking about and doing things. And if you continue on in chapter two, you'll see that here in Colossae, uh, there are a variety of things that the Colossians believe. And so what often happened uh, is that as people came to hear about Jesus, they had to then negotiate, well, what does this now uh, reality of what I believe about Jesus have to do with the other things I used to believe? What are the things I can believe at the same time and they can actually go together? And what are maybe now some of the things that I believe in Jesus that mean I can no longer believe what I used to believe? Because if what I now believe uh, because of Jesus actually contradicts what I used to believe. And every uh, society has to negotiate those things. What possibly can go together and hold together and what at times do we then find points of conflict? Um, just as a, a small example, if you think about it even in our contemporary day, as a nation, we now celebrate this weekend our independence and it is possible to be a follower of Christ and thankful for everything that he has done for you and also be thankful for the independence that we have as a nation and many of the freedoms that we get to enjoy. And you'd say, I think I can celebrate both of those things at one time. And you can. Uh, 
However, you'd also recognize if somebody was on, uh, from coming from the United Kingdom and they themselves say, I am a follower of Jesus, but I might acknowledge the Independence Day that you celebrate a little bit differently than you do. And I might describe it a little bit differently than you do. Now, is either one of them being disloyal to their faith in Jesus? No, they both can be followers of Jesus, but they might have a little bit of different loyalty when it comes to celebrating events that happened a few hundred years ago. Things like that happen all the time. But then when it comes to our faith in Jesus, informing us that every human life is valuable. And in the first century, when there were sort of those who were valuable because of uh, the family that they were born into or the political status that they had, that many believers now, because of who Jesus was and what he did for all of us, had to say, wait a minute, if I take Jesus seriously, I can no longer believe that the life of a slave is less valuable than the life of a master. I can no longer believe that women matter less than men. I can no longer believe that children are irrelevant and have no rights because Jesus said, let the little children come unto him. And he said that if anyone offends even the least of these, let there be punishment upon anybody who would take advantage of a child. Oh, okay, those are areas where if we now take seriously our faith in Jesus, we're gonna be in a position of conflict with many of the dominant uh, thoughts and even laws of our day. So the first point that we see when we come to Colossians along with many of these other letters is the universality of faith. The universality of faith. Everybody you've ever met believes in something. We all do. Sometimes we can refer to our faith in Christ in such a way that makes it sound like we might have faith and nobody else has faith. Um, and that's just a misunderstanding. We all have faith in something. We all believe multiple things. And so coming to understand one another is to create an environment where we can talk to each other about the things that we believe and why we believe them. But there is nobody that you've ever met who truly believes nothing. We all believe something. It eventually comes out in the second chapter of this letter uh, that Paul talks about some of the things that are unique uh, that are being debated in, in Colossians. He says in verse 18 of chapter 2, let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and the worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And there Paul is referring to debates that are happening in this church. So a lot of people have different ideas about the worship of angels, about what foods they're supposed to avoid, what activities that are okay to participate in. And everybody is, has faith in something. There's a universality to faith. When I just think of my own children and their fascination uh, with all of the different dragon characters and how to train your dragons or all the different powers of characters in Pokemon or now all the different uh, planets that exist in Star Wars and the different people that live on those planets, all of those demonstrate this fascination 
in our minds at the youngest of ages with believing and knowing, of course, there is so much more out there than we can simply see with our eyes and touch with our hands. We know enough to know that there is more out there. And in our imaginations, we come up with all different kinds of explanations for how things started, where things are going, uh, what it actually looks like to live at peace with one another. But we all, from the youngest of ages, very easily believe in things and have faith in realities that we don't fully understand. And so Paul, in writing and addressing this uh, congregation, recognizes that. And so uh, part of our growth and maturity as Christians is to be willing to listen to people in the various things they believe and to give them the opportunity to express why they believe what they believe. When Jesus said that we're supposed to treat other people like we want to be treated, if I appreciate the opportunity to usually describe myself, why I think, what I think, uh, and what difference it makes in my life, then the challenge is for me to consider how often do I extend that to other people. And I could just list off a whole bunch of things <laughs> to say I can't imagine in a room like this we all find agreement on and, and list 10 topics. And my goal is not necessarily that we would all come to agreement on all 10 of the topics, but to simply challenge ourselves to say if you don't know a single person in your life that disagrees with you about things, you might need to get to know more people. And as you get to know more people and you discover, oh my goodness, like that very same headline that made me excited and rejoicing seems to have made you angry and concerned. Please help me understand why this bit of news that for me was like a joy, it was a relief, it was, I was excited, seems to be making you heartbroken and scared and nervous. And the goal at the end of that is not that it's possible even that you would both come to complete agreement on it, but if we all believe something and those beliefs come from somewhere, are we committed relationally to seeking to understand you? Bless you. Um, to get to know people and not project onto them why they think the way they think and what it means, but to actually do the difficult work of saying, could we have a cup of coffee together? Uh, would you be available for breakfast so that I could have an opportunity to learn more from you about why you think the way you think? And that might inform why I think the way I think and might make both of us better at the end of it. But, and this is part of, I believe, where the Apostle Paul gets to then eventually saying and describing the growth that is happening here in the church. Everybody believes something. So by the gospel coming into Colossians, it's not that people are converting from unbelief to belief, but their beliefs are being refined and they are growing. And what the Apostle Paul is excited about is that their belief is continuing to live itself out and that it is bearing fruit. And he's commending to them the beauty of growth in their lives, uh, which for us now in, in, in summertime and as we get further into harvest, is the goodness that we experience when uh, you can go to a market and get fresh produce and fresh fruit from our own area. We all know the goodness that we experience when things grow fully into what they're supposed to be. And we enjoy 
the abundance of that. And the apostle is saying, when you first accepted Jesus, that was the beginning of what now is something that's supposed to mature and grow and bear fruit over time. So that even if people don't believe what you believe, they actually still get to experience some of the goodness of the growth that takes place in your life. And so as an example, if I was somebody who was angry all the time, and one of the ways the gospel is transforming me is in helping me control my emotions and I don't have angry outbursts anymore. Well, even if my neighbor doesn't believe what I believe, their life is better off that I'm not as angry of a person as I used to be. Like they get to receive part of the goodness of my maturity, whether or not they believe uh, the source of that growth and maturity. And so the Apostle Paul is commending them that there are many different outworkings that we should experience and our, even our neighbors should experience that as the gospel grows in us and as we mature, that we celebrate uh, the good work that God is doing, like we celebrate the harvest time and we enjoy the good fruit. Because words on their own don't mean a lot. We want to give the opportunity for people to express themselves but we're all always asking the question, do you mean what you say? <laughs> and are you willing to stick with what you said uh, at different times? Because words are things that we can just throw out there. Uh, in a lighthearted way, uh, our youngest son, David, he's only four years old, but uh, two days ago, he, he just looked at me and he said, Dad, when is the next time we're gonna go on a hot air balloon? And I looked at him, I said, next time? He goes, yeah, when is the next time we're going to go on a hot air balloon? And I said, was there a first time? And he goes, no. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, I was truly trying to wonder, like, did, was there something that happened that I don't, they did without me or something that I don't remember? No. Okay, so he put words together in a way that he could, you know, complete a sentence, but it didn't communicate something real or meaningful. And we can do that too. We can give bad answers to good questions. That's part of challenging one another to say, tell me why you believe this and then tell me about this to sharpen each other. But then once we've expressed ourselves, most people are looking at our lives and saying, do you mean it? <laughs> Not can you simply say it, but do you really mean it? And we can earn the respect of people over time if we show consistently, we mean it. You might not agree with me, but do you believe there's a consistency to the things that we say we believe? If that answer is yes, I do think that is one of the ways that we learn to live together in spite of our differences. But if what we all become is suspicious of one another, that none of us actually does what we say and none of us lives consistently with what we believe, um, that creates uh, an environment that is really hard to live together in if we're constantly suspicious of one another. So here, the Apostle Paul is encouraging them in their growth that that will lead to, to, to better and better things for them. And so then ultimately, he points them to Jesus and talks about the supremacy of Christ. And so some things are a matter of right and wrong and good and bad, but then other things become more of an issue of good, better, and best. And here now, as he talks about Jesus, 
and is, he realizes that there's a congregation of different people with different backgrounds and some areas where they might find disagreement. He points all of them now ultimately to the supremacy of Jesus. Look at just how amazing <laughs> this statement of faith is. Jesus, verse 15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him, in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body of the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of of his cross. If this is something you don't believe about Jesus, there is nobody else you could ever believe this about. Jesus either is the fulfillment of all that is here said, or no one can ever be the fulfillment of what is here said. And then there are other things you can believe, but who else would you sort of put forward for consideration for the whole to say, no, 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 it's not Jesus, but this person, you could say, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, uh, and that by him all things visible and indivisible were created, and through him they all hold together. It is perfectly reasonable to say, I'm not sure I believe that yet. I just don't know enough about him. That's pretty hard to get my mind around. That's, that could be said about anybody. But if it is not true about Jesus, it is not true about anyone else. And so the Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Colossae, he is the supreme one who holds it all together. He is the hope that all of us are longing for. He is the path to reconciliation between all of us. And he is the only one who has offered to make this peace by his own blood on the cross. So why settle for lesser things? Why believe in anything less that promises less when the real and true and supreme and best is laid before us in Jesus. And so just like we wonder about ourselves, do we say what we believe? Is it really true? We also look to God and say, is, is God really there? And does he really keep his word? And is he reliable and true? And can we count on him? Or is this going to let us down? Is this going to be superficial? Is this really just a substitute um, that brings us temporary relief. Um, but we all have that question. Of, is this faking it? Or is this real and genuine? Again, just in a lighthearted way, uh, last week, if you were with us on the retreat, uh, you were able to have, like me, if you're a coffee drinker, 
coffee-flavored water uh, while you were at the retreat, uh, is how I would describe it. And so it really did taste like coffee. And so if what you just needed was the taste of coffee while you were at the retreat, we had coffee-flavored water. That is not the same thing as coffee. Uh, that really is coffee. And if you, like me, then were excited when you could finally get home and have real coffee after you were tired from a weekend away, you know the subtle difference. Uh, we can flavor almost anything, anything we want. That doesn't make it real. And all of us have reasons to say, well, I think God is this, and I think God's like this, and I think God would never do this, and I think God, we can all come up with that. That doesn't make it real. That doesn't make it true. And so all of us then need to ask, is there really a God? And if there is really a God, what is that God like? And what has that God said? And why is it that we believe these things? And for the apostle, he is telling us that we should bring all of our questions about who God is to Jesus and come to know the heart of God and the work of God and the future that God desires for all of us through Jesus and Jesus alone. And then this we won't extend on because I'm... Uh, I think, full with my time, but then eventually he goes on to talk about the necessity of wisdom. We who believe in the supremacy of Jesus need to continue to have relationships of accountability and support that help us figure out wisdom in the future that is unknown to all of us. And that's why he writes this letter. But he goes on to say that he became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to make the word of God fully known and to unveil this mystery and that we proclaim warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is what we need to. If God allows us to live one more year, one more decade, or several more decades, all of us will continue to need wisdom that we do not already have for what's in front of us. And so we will need to maintain an openness to one another and to God through his word to speak to us, to say, what do we do with this? How do we handle this? And we all need that to be to continue to bear the fruit that God would have us to bear in the days ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the assurance that you are the supreme one, that there is no one better and greater, and so that we can come before you and fully rest and rely upon your goodness that you are the creator of each and every one of us, that you are the one who reconciled us through your son, and that you are the one that can hold us all together. And we also confess that we need ongoing wisdom from you to know how to do that well with one another to come from our different backgrounds and our different perspectives our different struggles with sin and that we ultimately need your guidance for how uh, to love one another and live together well 
and to not encourage each other to settle for lesser things, but to point each other ultimately to the satisfaction that can be found in you and you alone. And so where we need warnings, Father, uh, please give us warnings. When we need encouragement, please give us encouragement. But point us uh, to the real and true hope that we have. Help us to let go of our made-up and substitute ideas for what is real and true and eternal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stay in his